My job is to learn new stuff and explain it to others. That's what I do. Lately, one of the things that I've been trying to understand and to learn is Node.js. For some reason, however, I just can't get it into my brain. It's like I'm blocked. My brain is full. One of the things I'm trying to understand is the event loop. So I call up my friend Matt Ranny, who's the CTO of Voxer, happens to live a couple miles from me. And I say, let's go have some beers, and maybe along the way, if I buy, you can explain to me what the event loop is. He says, sure. So we head on out, sit down, open a beer, and I say, okay. Uh, and that's all I can get out of my mouth. And he stares back at me and he says, well, let's start here. What would you like to know? And I can't even formulate the question. I feel like I'm paralyzed. And all that came out of my mouth was, I'm not a very good programmer. And he looks back at me and starts to laugh. And he says, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, I guess what you could call me is a, a framework pusher. I mean, I use languages and I push around pieces of a framework. I don't really go much deeper down to operating system level stuff. And so I don't even know what question to ask you. And he starts to laugh. He goes, well, how about you think of it this way? And then he proceeds to explain things to me using various analogies like restaurants and circuses and whatnot. And as he's explaining things, it's starting to make sense. His analogies are settling into my brain and they're turning themselves into code. I can see bits and pieces moving around, but they're not really sticking. And I remember thinking to myself, I need to make room for this. What am I going to forget? I need to shove something out. And I think back to all the things that I've learned through my programming career. Languages like VB, Pascal, COBOL, do those things still matter? Can I forget those things? Because I need to make room. For some reason, I just can't keep this all in my head. Well, at the end of the evening, I understood the event loop a lot more. But as I drove home, I wondered to myself, what did I just forget? This Developer's Life is brought to you by Coderush for Visual Studio. We appreciate their support. With consume-first declaration, powerful templates, smart selection tools, intelligent code analysis, innovative navigation, and an unrivaled collection of visual refactorings all working together, your development productivity will increase dramatically. Get Coderush. You'll be glad you did. Check them out at devexpress.com slash coderush. So um, I've totally forgotten how to edit the audio. <laughs> it's been yeah. like a month since our last show. I'm sitting here in audition and I'm looking at it and I'm like, what is the hotkey for zoom out? Yeah. I, I just did that the other day with uh, some C-sharp code someone asked me to write and I just completely, it fell out of my brain. It's exactly what's happening. I'm, I'm looking, it's like, I remember recording 
and editing the last show. And I had taught myself Adobe Audition, having moved over from Audacity. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was rocking, right? And then, uh, did I tell you that I edited a bunch of video recently? I went and did 105 gigs of video from mm-hmm. my brother-in-law's wedding. Mm-hmm. And I tried like three different video programs and ended up using Windows um, Movie Maker. Mm-hmm. And by the end, oh my goodness, I was like all, you know, I had like the six hotkeys that you needed to know, yeah. which inevitably just means split and delete. But, you know, I was just rocking it. Like as soon as I learned the hotkey for split, I was just like pow, 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 pow. And I, I bet you that if I tried it now, it would be gone. After the last show, I was fearing for my position here in our lovely little podcast. Like, oh, you did a good job. I was really impressed. I thought it was quite well done. It was okay. I had a little trouble with the leveling. So we're sitting here now trying to level this show. Yeah. You can, can you see my screen? Yes, I can. So you see how this one's really <laughs> tall and this one's really short? <laughs> yeah. You know how wow. to fix that? Uh, not off the top of my head, <laughs> no. <laughs> Learning no, you is, know, learning is hard. It is. My head right now is so full of things that I'm trying to do for work. You know, I'm trying to make these screencasts and stuff and I've got to learn this new stuff. And every single day a new concept comes in and I think it bumps the other ones out. Like I, there's like a stack in my head and mm-hmm. there's a push and a pop that goes on. And I have no idea what just got popped, you know, and I'm just forgetting exactly. stuff right and left. Exactly. It's, I'm, I'm forgetting things right and left. My wife was telling me it's somebody's birthday. <laughs> maybe, maybe like, you know, it's like I'm thinking to myself, is it your birthday? Yeah. Uh, I think it was a brother, my brother-in-law. And she was saying, well, you should know this. If you cared, you would know this. Oh, boy. And I was like, well, but... And then we'll be watching a show and some random... A uh, secondary actor will come on, and I'll go. Oh, that's the guy from Lost, episode five, season six. Da, 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 da. You know, he walked in at about thirteen. You know, it's like, and I know the guy, and it's like, okay, you know this, but you don't know your brother-in-law's <laughs> birthday. But you know, it's funny because you and I were talking uh, just earlier today about you and JavaScript and having to learn something new. And uh, yeah, learning learning is fun, but man, it takes a lot of work. It does. It does. And there's. So many times I think when people are afraid to say that they don't understand something. Uh, The blogger Kathy Sierra has this great mental model where she talks about when you go to learn a subject, the first thing you do is need to figure out what you need to know about that subject like the minimum, like the survival stuff. Like if I were going to go learn Python tomorrow, what is the thing I need to know about Python? Not the trivia, not the tiny little API, not the inner workings of the pipeline, but need to know. Assuming I know how to think, what do I need to know? And then what would be nice to know? And then what's the trivial stuff? What's the obscure little things that Pythonistas get together and talk about? But there's a hierarchy of needs in any topic. Does Patrick need to know what a second derivative is to survive at a financial services company? Or does he just need to know how to think? I ask him that as we explore his liberal arts degree and how it relates to his now 20-year career as a software engineer. My work-study job in college was in the student computer lab doing... uh, user support basically for a bunch of students on Macs. So I spent time like 
retrieving people's crashed Word documents and uh, trying to get, you know, disk by disk or sector by sector copies of somebody's, you know, thesis that's on a, on a three and a half inch floppy that they ran over with their car or something. And so, I, you know, I was used to working with computers. And while I was doing that, one of the guys that I worked with was into Unix and they just gotten Unix on their VAX. Uh, at Lewis and Clark, and so I started running, you know, Z-Term and screwing around with the Unix machine because they had BitNet uh, back in the day, and you know, Usenet newsgroups and all this stuff. And so, you know, I kind of got computers, but I was not seriously into them uh, until I started working in the field, and then decided that QA was not very much fun, really, at least for me, at least the way it was done now. It'd probably be more fun now than it was then. Um, since you know my job was to execute a thousand thousand page test plan one page at a time and check the box on every page that said yes this passed in a DOS application uh, and so I had a Mac and I got a little C compiler for it and I started screwing around with it and kind of you know got all the uh, the Macintosh developer reference books all seven volumes or whatever it was and uh, it was fun so I'd you know I'd work ten hours a day at a QA job and then go home and screw around it because my wife had a evening job on the evenings and weekends, so I'd go home and you know write code and screw around with C compilers. And when I was at Intel, so the next job after that was at Intel, and my manager was willing to put me through school, so you know I got a you know a little bit of formal grounding enough that I kind of understood what everybody was talking about. Is that something anybody can do? Is this something you can teach, or is this only something you can teach with people whose brains are a certain way? There there are people yeah. I know in the business who 10 years in will say stuff like, so Java replaces XML, right? Yeah. And then there's people who are, you would think be competent users and maybe they are good at Excel, but then you'll, you'll find that they have troubles dragging something to a, user, uh, to, a, to a network share. You could say that that's a failure of the UI or you could say that that's a failure of their brains, but you're saying that you, and this is my word, bumbled into software engineering as a lifelong career. Yeah, totally. And, but you got it though. Did you come wired that way, or was there something in your degree that prepared you for the kind of thinking that would take someone to sit down with seven volumes of the Mac C book? I think a little of both. So I mean, there's two separate issues there. I think that um, I've always been of the opinion that a liberal arts education is good for everybody. Um, I would not have enjoyed a technical education. You know, I would not have enjoyed going to OIT and doing nothing but computer science. Um, you know, and I wanted to get a liberal arts degree, and I did. I think and I've, most of the people, I don't know about most, many, I've known many people in who work as developers who have liberal arts degrees, and a lot of the more creative ones had, you know, got their degrees in philosophy, or, uh, and even more so in QA. Some of the best testers I've ever worked with had philosophy degrees or history degrees, or uh, because you know, it's all about you spend four years learning how to think about stuff in a very sort of structured way. So, I mean, I felt like I came out of four years of, you know, East Asian Studies education with that framework to say, well, this is a problem, right? Computer science has problems. There's structured ways of thinking about these problems. It's not that hard to solve these problems. On the other hand, I do think that some people are just wired for it and some people are not. Baby, 
can go and get the CS degree. And I know people who, you know, have gone and gotten their degrees and who just are not really wired for it. And they can go and get a job. And, you know, I've had friends and relatives who have, you know, gotten the degree from DeVry or from wherever. And they, you know, you can grind it out. Um, it's not necessarily going to be fun for you. And a lot of the people, I think people who are not wired for it, it's just not fun for them. And you can get a decent job and you can make a decent living, uh, but you have to work really, really hard. And I, you know, I think some people are just wired for it. And, you know, the, the kids who, you know, started programming on their C64s who are now executives in, you know, software development, that just made sense to them. I have a huge respect and always was interested in the whole information architecture thing, right? And being a designer and information architect is a way of getting how computers work at a fundamentally different level than the way that developers get how computers work. Um, and for developers, I think, you know, if you're going to be a, a serious developer that really is into it, it's because you're wired to get that computers do what we tell them to do, not what we want them to do. And you know, I've had that conversation with the average user who can't figure out the spreadsheet, right? And gets all frustrated. And it's the fundamental law of computers is that they do, you know, what we tell them to do, not what we hope that they're going to do or what we expect them to do. And people who are, you know, hardcore coders get that at sort of the micro rather than the macro level. Like down at the metal, it's only going to do what I tell it to do. That slight tangent that reminds me of what's something that's going on at my house right now. We have Google Apps for business, which means that Hanselman.com is a like a quote unquote business, and it's run by Google Apps. So all of our mail, calendars, docs, it's all done at Google Apps. Google people who use Google Apps are in one profile world. We are that is a type of account, and then there's Gmail accounts and Google accounts that that you guys who don't have Google Apps yeah. have. So if I tried to log into Hanselman.com, I log in as Scott at Hanselman.com, and I do my thing. But if I go and log into YouTube, it says, well, you have a Google Apps account, and you have a profile at Google. You know, which one do you want to log in as? There's the, there's the business people, and then there's the, the consumer. Uh. They recently migrated those two. So, so now all of the Google Apps people have just become real actual Google accounts. Hmm. We're, we're not second-class citizens anymore. So I can log into YouTube and any Google account, Picasa or whatever, without even having to do anything. But in some instances, they've, when you already have an existing account, there's conflicts and they have to merge those and reconcile those conflicts. Three weeks ago, my wife became incensed because when she logs out of Google Apps, it doesn't go back to Hanselman.com, it goes back to Gmail. And when she tries to log into Gmail, it, it gets confused. It's like, well, you had a Gmail account, but now you don't. Da, 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 da. And it was completely intuitive to me. It makes total sense. I just explained it to you, and you get it. And I'm yeah. nodding your head. And she's like, why are you being a Google apologist? <laughs> They've changed it. It makes no sense. It's useless. And I'm like, but it's, this is, I mean, there, were, there was A and there's B, and then they merged them, and then now it's there's just B, and this is Y, and here's the rules. And how is anyone supposed to remember that? That's insane. As a, and I, I was I was almost rendered. I was just gobsmacked because I was like, it wasn't that I. She's not she's not, a, she's not an unintelligent person. She's smarter than I am, 
I'm lucky she talks to me. I'm saying that it works like that. I felt like I was literally arguing two plus two with somebody, and they were just like, no, it is not four. And how dare you be a four apologist? Well, it's, it's like a, you're, I mean, you are the watchmaker, right? I mean, you can, you can look at the face of the watch and see how the gears must be put together underneath and explain the watch's behavior because you know what the gears look like, right? And so it's easy for us to look at that Google Apps thing and say, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not apologizing. I understand this behavior because I can visualize in my head how they fit those pieces together. So it must work like that. Exactly, exactly. It, computers only do what we tell them to do. We, for you and I, is both the user and the programmer. Because a bug for you isn't a bug. For a user, a bug is like, I told it to do this and it didn't. But a bug for us is, obviously the programmer told it to do something wrong. So it did the wrong thing. Right. Right. They say, my code has no bugs. It runs exactly as I wrote it. Yeah. And it, and it does, right? Um, it just, you know, then, then our challenge as developers is matching up our intention with the user's desires. So that basic thing where you and I have just connected, we obviously, I hope, get it. Is that something that you can teach? Or is that is that the essence of the thing that people come built in? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can certainly teach the structured thinking part. And I don't, I don't know if that helps. I mean, you know, I took logic in school and physics and, uh, but, you know, a lot of people who are brilliant computer science people came from totally a math background. I don't get math at all. Like, I've never been a math guy. And so that, uh, you know, and algorithms and, and uh, you know, anything hardcore math oriented, I just have no clue about. And I have never been that guy. I had a job once where the business guy came to me and said, well, we need this graph of the data and uh, we just need a graph of the second derivative. And I just looked at it and I'm like, okay, what does that mean, dude? What's second derivative of what? He's like, well, you know, a graph of the second derivative of this data. And I said, go find me a book that says how you calculate a second derivative and I'll code the hell out of it, but I have no idea what you just said. And so he, you know, it turns out that the business guy, luckily for me, happened to have been an ex-engineer. And so he brought me back the algorithms in C book that said how to drive a second derivative. And I'm like, okay, I've got a C algorithm. I can write this in C sharp, no problem. But I still know what it does. And he was an EE guy, so he was completely shocked. Like, what do you mean you derive a second derivative? You know, so we all have this, you know, we all have those moments. Um, and you can teach that, right? I mean, I could have, I, you know, I never took calculus, but I could have, and I could someday learn what a second derivative is. Uh, Teaching structured thinking is hard, uh, but they do teach it. And, you know, you can go and take logic or you can take, uh, you know, in college we had to take some, like, they call it basic inquiry, but it's, you know, how to think about stuff. Uh, but that totally resonates with some people and it doesn't with others. From a, I think it was the five-year-old that's saying something about how the uh, sound moves faster through a solid than it does through a uh, to, through air, Yeah. right? And of course, you're like, of course, right? Because the molecules are closer together, therefore the thing can be bumped into, right? And then you can start working into analogies of like standing on, standing in a crowded room with a bunch of people, right? One guy running around is not going to bump into anybody, but if there's a bunch of people in the room, he's going to bump into those people, and they're going to bump into other people, and there you go. You've just traveled. The bump goes faster now. Right. And 
you know, we kind of walked the five-year-old through this thinking process and he's like, cool, you know, and in my mind, I'm like, all right, I hope I've set you up for your 13-year-old future self to want to know about this stuff. So then fast forward to a couple days later and I've got my, uh, my first in a number of years, Lego Technics, I put together this car and oh man, I mean, nerdgasm. <laughs> I haven't done Lego in years. I've yeah. done, you know, this is amazing. I put together this car. And then I modified the original design now, right? So now the gearbox works, and then the V8 engine is running. And I yeah. go to my wife, and I'm like, look at how it's got a limited slip differential in the back. <laughs> and she just looks at me. I'm like, okay, it's got a limited slip differential gearbox. Look at the gearbox in the back. And I try to, and she's like, I'm happy that you're happy. <laughs> That's her second derivative. Yeah. I, you know, my wife makes art. I mean, she's, she's a seamstress and a quilter and she looks at, you know, piles of fabric and turns them into art. And I don't, I just don't see that stuff. Right. And I see four loops. When does your degree matter? When does getting, when does your degree matter to an employer? And why? And then when does it just stop mattering? At least personally, I mean, my experience was it, it matters when you're fresh out of college and you're trying to get a job. Uh, you know, fresh out of college, I could get a QA job because at the time, nobody really cared. Right? I mean, they were looking for, we were doing manual testing. There was no such, I mean, there was a test plan, but it was really, they were looking for monkeys to push keys on the keyboard. And you know, I could do that. And so nobody cared. Right. And then, you know, but eventually I, when I got a job at Intel, at Intel it was a bigger deal, right? Like you were not going to, uh, pass a certain threshold. Like it was a big deal when I got hired full-time at Intel and I didn't have a CS degree. Um, and it was, came up in the interviews. People were like, wow, we're not sure we can hire you because you don't have a CS degree and that's maybe a problem. And it was, it took a lot of talking and it took a lot of, um, I'd been there 18 months already. I think, you know, by the time I was doing this. And I had my manager behind me saying, well, you know, he's been to some classes and I had, you know, I had a record and I could say, look, I've been doing this job. Uh, I've, you know, I'm taking class, I'm going to night school, you know, I'm taking classes at PCC. I get how this works, but it was a hurdle. Right? And while I was at Intel, I, that, w- that was the one time I sort of briefly considered going back and getting a master's degree in computer science because, you know, I thought, well, you know, I really be, it would be nicer for me to have a better theoretical grounding in some of this stuff. Cause I took, I took data structures I'm like, yeah, okay, it's good to know this stuff. I understand why, you know, people get CS degrees. It's important to know some of this, you know, the theoretical stuff. And you can code intuitively for a long time and make stuff. But really, I mean, some, some of those fundamentals, it's good to know. At the time, I thought, wow, you know, that's really a lot of work. And it's really expensive to go and get a master's degree. Is it really going to help me that much? And, and the reality was it wasn't going to help me get a better job. And, you know, I might make a little bit more, but really it wasn't going to help me get a better job. Um, and after that, uh, you know, when I started working at Step, it just became a non-issue after that. Um, I had enough of a track record then that I could point to work that I'd done, and it sort of just ceased being an issue after that. And I toyed again, you know, a couple times, well, maybe I should go back and get that Master's in Computer Science. But it would cost a lot of money and take a lot of time, and it really wasn't going to help me that much.
I get a lot of emails from people asking me for advice, mostly young people, often young people from overseas that are coming out of their, their degrees. And they ask me what they I think they should do. And I always tell them, get deeply involved and commit to some open source project. Pick something and work on it because it's the ultimate free experience, right? You know, really get a track record yeah. and then point to that track record because, I mean, look at like Resig, right? I mean, talk is cheap. Show me the code. He produced. It doesn't matter. I have no idea how old he is. I have no idea what degree he has. But his work speaks for itself. Yeah. Internships are the same way. And, uh, you know, if you can get a good internship and build that track record, the guys that you worked with are going to go, wow, you know, I'd hire that guy again because he actually knew what he was talking about. And you can tell. I mean, I've worked with interns. And, you you know, some guys are like, well, yeah, he got a CS degree or he's about to get a CS degree. But, you know, he doesn't want to work that hard. Or so, I mean, internship is a great way to show that you've got the chops. And the guys that you worked with as an intern will remember that. And... You know, they'll hire you later. I, I wonder, you, you, I know that when I interviewed at Microsoft, because I had 15, 16 years experience before I got the interview, yeah. I didn't even mention the degree. It was, I, don't even, I don't even know if it was a checkbox because, because I had all these projects I yeah. could point to. It wasn't about certifications. It was about actual, like, I did this and I accomplished that, et cetera, et cetera. And I failed on this. But if I wanted to go to work for Microsoft Research, I would have to have at least a master's degree right. or preferably a PhD. And if I was working in my PhD, I could get an internship. And that's not negotiable. Yeah, and I think that, that I was just thinking that. And that's, that's just part of the experience. I mean, I've always essentially worked in business computing. Uh, and I totally agree, right? I mean, if you were going to go and say, gee, I really want to work in, at Amazon in the distributed computing group, well, yeah, then you better have your degree from you know, Cornell or, um, what's the, uh, Carnegie Mellon, right. And have some serious cred, uh, as far as technical computing goes, right. Or they're just not going to talk to you. Um, but business computing is a whole different, in many ways, it's a whole different discipline. Right? I mean, the stuff that, the stuff that we, I don't even know if it's computer science. I think a lot of business computing and sort of average, your average website, your average website is, it's not about technical problems. I mean, really building websites comes down to, to people problems, right? Can you organize a bunch of developers to listen to the requirements and build what they're supposed to build in a timely fashion? It's not, you know, we're not, um, you know, we're not doing ro robot vision, right? We're not trying to show, you know, we're try not trying to tell the difference between a picture of a dog and a picture of a cat. That's hard, right? Uh, showing people uh, information about their insurance is it's not technically difficult. It's hard to get it right, but they're not technical problems that we have to solve, right? If you're if you're solving distributed computing, if you're building the you know if you're building the uh, the Mechanical Turk, right? Those are technical problems that have to be solved that are hard, right? And this is really interesting. the The bar is lowering for what can be accomplished by a hobbyist now, and thinking of hard problems like the guys that built the Connect, there were two hard problems from my perspective that they did. First, there's the math and PhDs and patents and documents and all the stuff around recognizing fingers and depth and all that kind of stuff. That's problem one. Yeah. And then the second problem is making it $150, which is an interesting but totally different, totally problem. different problem. But it's like, here, for $20,000, look what we've done. I can see your fingers with a webcam. And then, okay, that's great. Fantastic. Now make it $150 and come back when that's finished. And then the, th the next level is that your 16-year-old can now get the Connect SDK 
and write a program that, you know, I think I saw a sample online where it gives you um, incredible Hulk arms. So it detects where your arms are, and it's like a switch statement, you know, like if it's his hands, X, Y, okay, put the Incredible Hulk hands here. And then you can like, I'm I'm the Incredible Hulk. So all these PhDs and all these brilliant people who work at that level of computing to enable the 16-year-old to make the Incredible Hulk arms with Connect. What's going to be next? And what are those people like? What's that club like that we're not in? The the deep thinking, distributed commuting, Connect, PhD level of smart. Yeah. Do they get big piles of money that we don't know about? Is there a club? Is there a bar that they all hang out with, like in Top Gun? All after work, all the PhDs in technical computing go hang out at this bar? Yeah, probably. We're never going to get in. No, it's a speakeasy. You know, you slot in the door, kind of. <laughs> Where's your degree from Carnegie Mellon? Thanks to Patrick for sharing his stories with us today. If you want to know more about Patrick and his lack of a degree, uh, head over to caldwell.net, C-A-U-L-D-W-E-L-L.net. There you can also see a link to his book up on Amazon.com, Code Leader. It's all about managing process, tools, and people to crack out successful software. Read it, loved it. It's a good read. Thanks again, Patrick. Going out to lunch with a friend, I had been working all morning trying to figure out a backbone uh, problem, backbone JS, and my brain is spinning. And I'm walking across the street with my friend, and we're just having polite, easy conversation. And then he goes into this deep discussion about something spiritual, and he says, "And so the Lakota can hold two ideas in their one, in their brain at once. It's called dilinear thinking. Isn't that interesting?" And I swear, I looked at him, and every word that he just said bounced off my forehead. And I just looked at him with a complete blank stare and he goes, I understand. You're locked up, aren't you? And I'm like, completely, You're I don't know what you, up, you, I don't know what you just said, but yes, yeah. my brain is locked hard right now. No writing was, to this brain. I was reading Hacker News today and there's this new thing called, uh, what is it called? It was, a, it was a new kind of chess that they play at Dropbox apparently, where you take two chess boards, you put them next to each other you rotate one 180 degrees. So the guy on the left plays black and then the guy and the guy and then, then the one to his right plays white. And then if you take uh, your your guy's piece, if you take the enemy's piece from the left board, you then get to add it to the right board. So if I take your queen, it becomes a queen on my side and the same color on the other side. And then you play speed chess with two boards and four people. And I felt stupid. I just it's like, I don't know how you could be an awesome programmer and also know how to do that. See, everything you just said bounced right off my forehead right there. <laughs>
I think I locked up again. <laughs> You're thrashing to disc. You're thrashing to disc. Exactly. You and I are, are here commiserating on being stupid. Mm-hmm. While people are listening, are like, how do they not know what cardinality is? Yeah. Like, I've, you know, and they can quote it chapter and verse, right? <laughs> exactly. I, I went up on the Khan Academy website because my wife is going back to school, so she wanted to she wanted to do some math. And I went up, and I think we we were like, oh yeah, well we'll start at AP Calc. That was a bad idea. So then we backed up. It's like, okay, well we'll start at Algebra three. Okay, that was a bad idea. So we started back, and then it's like, uh, you know, two to the negative one half. And I'm staring at this saying, I know I have to flip something upside down and then flip it back and then times it by something. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And, and I meet people who 25 years out of school still know how to do that, and I am in awe. Yeah. And I think to myself, I have overridden that brain cell. Uh, currently, that brain cell that was originally set up for doing um, you know, negative exponents and fractional mm-hmm. exponents, that's now the Windows hotkeys. Right, I, window E is currently taking up the space that was previously done with yep. fractional exponents. So I'm sorry. That is the question, isn't it? When you're learning something new, are we going through college? I mean, maybe you have extra brain cells to spare. Who knows? But I feel like at some point in life, you don't got any more brand new unwritten brain cells. You end up replacing other ones. Not only do you have to learn how to think, but you also have to learn how to study. Zach was homeschooled, and now he's going to college and hasn't found college to be that much different. You go to a lecture, you go and you do some work, you sit down, you focus, you do the homework. Did his learning of good study habits enable him to become a natural engineer, or was he built in already as an engineer in his homeschooling and now college? Unlock that thing. When did you turn 18? I turned 18 in uh, September. Are, are, did you graduate high school? I did graduate uh, last year from high school. And now I'm at, at University of California, San Diego, studying computer science. Wow. You graduated early? Um, I guess I did, yeah. I, um, I graduated... Well, I was a little bit... Um, uh, my, since my birthday is in September... My uh, parents had the option of either uh, starting me a little bit early or starting me a little bit late because that's kind of the cutoff. And so, um, so actually, um, I was actually homeschooled. And so um, that they just decided they'd start early and see how the homeschooling went. And if it didn't work out for the first year, then we'd go ahead and go into a regular school. And, uh, and so that, I guess that's probably why I got, got started early. I, I, actually, it was interesting because going into college, it didn't really feel much different, believe it or not, because a lot of my study was done on my own as a homeschooler. And so uh, when I went to college, that's almost exactly what we do. We go to a lecture and then we have to study on our own and, and learn the material. And so um, so that, that was that was kind of an interesting thing when I went into college. I, I didn't necessarily know what to expect, but it was it actually felt almost the same. My parents had an old 
uh, I think it was a Mac PowerBook 100 series. It's like the old gray brick that uh, I remember playing with the little drawing program on it called Pit Kid Picks. And uh, that was just the, the greatest thing is I was like two or three, you know, just drawing with that. And yeah, I guess that's kind of how my first interaction with the computer went. I remember the very first thing that I did technologically, and this is not comparable to Kid Picks, but I took apart my toaster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then reassembled it and then proceeded to take apart my clock radio. And, t- and, and I was always fascinated with things that were multiple functions. So the, the greatest thing for me growing up was, I think this is about 1985, so I was like nine, was a clock radio telephone. And I was obsessed. Oh. It's a clock. It's a radio. And it's a telephone in one. And I, you know, they were, they were, this was like a thing. I mean, this was like a huge deal that it, all these functions, it was like, that was the equivalent of an iPad because no one could conceive <laughs> of one device doing three things. But I guess uh, one thing that I did do when I was younger is I did use Lego Mindstorms a little bit. And so in that sense, it was putting together stuff and, and seeing how it would, how, if I could make it run it's, and, and things. I think I got my first robotics kit at age nine or something like that from Lego Mindstorms. And I I don't think I really, I mean, I, I used it a little bit on and off. It, it, did ta- it would take some patience to actually do it. And I don't think I had the patience that time. Um, I, I did play with it a little bit, you know, built little robots from the manual that would move around and, and stuff. And I I think I did build I, I did build one that um, that was able to shoot little bricks. Like I had a the wheel that would spin, and then it would shoot the bricks, and that, that was kind of fun. But uh, but I, it was when I was thirteen or fourteen, I think it was. I I did um, get I did enter a robotics competition and won with the little robot that would follow around the track. That was that was fun. I see these kids your age heads down in a Nintendo, and I think to myself. They have the attention span to play this Nintendo thing for hours, but they don't seem to have the attention to read a book or to build a robot that shoots Legos or to learn a programming language. Um, yeah, I think it is partly an addiction, um, but, and, and partly because of that addiction, they have the focus. Um, I would say, uh, in just in general, you have to want something in order to to have the focus, though, too. And so, um, I know, I when I was younger, I did play a little bit with programming languages and and things like that. I never, I didn't really have the focus because I didn't really understand fully about how useful it was, and um, and I just don't think it was time for me to get into it yet. But it was when I um, I was 14, I think it was, I started getting into programming more. I read a, read a book on C Sharp and started programming, which what was then .NET 2.0. And um, and then I, I did some programming and, and stuff. And then actually, it was uh, amazing because my dad uh, does a lot of work for a large oil company. Um, he has his own company and does some work for them. And um, they had an extra project that was um, he didn't have time for. Nobody else had time for. And uh, he showed it to me one night, just kind of the idea, and said, "Well, maybe three years down the road, you'll be able to do something like this." And then he went on a business trip, and 
and I I started throwing together a prototype and just just for fun. And then um, then he what happened is he he came back from the business trip and he saw what I had and he's like, wow, this is this is pretty good. Actually, you might be able to do this. And so he went back to them and and said um, and, and, and said, well, I, I don't have time for this, but I think I know someone who does. But the only problem is, is he's uh, 15. And that was essentially my foray into programming as a um, seriously, and um, and 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 because of this project, I, I saw like this how fun it could be like, to make something, and people actually want to use my stuff. And, and I think that was probably what gave me the um, the desire to do, keep keep programming and do more programming. And, and so, in that sense, you you have. You have people who are maybe playing video games and stuff, and, and I did play video games when I was younger, but then I think it was about that point that I, I stopped playing video games and, and I went on more to uh, like write programs and stuff yeah, on my own. Well, like for example, with my application launcher, Promptu, that I wrote, that was just something that I started doing on, on the side just because I wanted an extra feature that wasn't in Slick Run. Um, that I, I was like, oh, I really want this, but unfortunately I can't. Uh, yeah, it's not open source or anything. I can't add to Slick Run, so I'll I'll start writing my own and see how it goes. And, and then after I got it working, I was like, well, maybe other people would want to use this, and so maybe I'll I'll start adding more things to it and get it up to production quality, so I can actually release it. And so that's what I did. And I think I, I think I would have to agree that it's uh, the producer consumer. Um, it comes down to like it, when you're producing, it, do you? Like, do you see this cool idea and you're like, oh, maybe somebody else wants to use this and I'll, I'll, I'll make it, or, um, or do you just want to consume? And, and, and there's nothing wrong with you know, playing video games and stuff, they're fun. And, and, um, and I've, I played a little bit this summer while I was, I'm interning. We have an Xbox at the place and so, uh, that I'm staying. And so I, I've played a little bit there uh, just, just for fun. But, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I would have to agree that it comes down to produ producing and consuming. My very first job, when I was Zach's age, I was a lifeguard at the local YMCA, and I got fired for having a party in the lifeguard's office, invited all my friends, while the people were swimming. Shows you how smart I was. So I like video games a lot, and I play them maybe, I don't know, uh, once or twice a week, I'll go for a stretch, like three or four hours, but I never finish them. I never finished. Like, I'll never finish Halo. I've got a stack of video games here I'm looking at. I've never finished any of them. What happens is I get about halfway through, and then I realize I'm not playing the video game. I'm fighting with another programmer. There's just this, this thing pops in my head. I'm like, why am I fighting with this guy? I don't need to prove anything. <laughs> it's not a fight between me and the Horde or me and the, I don't know, whatever the bad guys are in Halo. It's me and some level designer. And once it becomes clear that there's a guy out there or a woman out there who designed this level, I'm like, well, I'm not interested in playing with you. And I stopped playing. Do you, I'm trying to understand, how do you teach someone to care more about production than consumption? There's so many kids out there that just have that whatever man kind of attitude. Do you think this was taught or do you think you came wired this way? I, th I think part of it that 
had an influence on me was um, was the idea that I could actually do something, and that it's um, it's not just the the status quo that that I just have to accept, and having the ability to have a little bit of extra free time, because uh, when you're when you're homeschooled, it, things are, it's generally a little bit more efficient just because you're not waiting for class and stuff to start. You you can just start and do it and power through it whenever you want. Um, uh, that, that that little bit of extra time um, gave me the ability to to experiment with um, with things and, and and I don't know maybe it's there, there just has to have have that light bulb moment though too where it's oh I can actually do something and and uh, and if I can actually do something why don't I actually go do something and, and do it and, and um, I, that maybe that's just maybe that's that's the difference between the producer and consumer is um, they they've seen the light bulb and, and and there's plenty of people who are in the consumer mentality that if only they they could see the light bulb that they could do great things probably the thing that got me into programming was um it was just the the ability to look and say wow i actually made something i think uh, like having that sense of accomplishment after Getting through the the project that you decided you were going to do, and and going through all the road bumps that were in the way, um, uh, that 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 perhaps um, the sense of accomplishment is even greater because it's not just that I, I learned this, but I've actually applied it. And, and I can I can think of one time where it was I had like a really big sense of accomplishment, and that was I had um, a um, a project that I was doing with. Um, Google Earth and the like the KML files you can create to add overlays and stuff, and so I was doing it for this uh, this organization. We there's a convention. Um, it's actually the homeschool organization. We have this convention every year, and we wanted to see where people are coming from and and where our, our main main um, main group of people are that, that come. And so what I did is I created this application that we could take a list of zip codes. I just that and then what I did is I um, I made it so that I could ma make little squares on the the Google Earth that would show a heat map based on how many people are here and so like the highest one would be fully red and then you'd have it fade out to like a white color when uh, there weren't as many people there and so um, it, there was a, it, being a new programmer at that time um, I there were so many challenges I had to overcome those I, I first had to find a geolocation library that worked with .NET so I could get the geolocation information for the zip code and then I got that kind of working but then it turns out you have to also do these special equations to make to account for the curvature of the earth when you're doing all these little squares and so that was something that was that was a fun challenge but then I could remember like after I got it working I, I, I was like rushing at the last moment to get it done because uh, we had to go somewhere else and and until like, it was like a meeting we had and so but I got it and and I was like yes I got it Jumping up and down, and just because it was like a challenge that was just, it was just so fun to solve. And, and uh, but but and, and that that was a sense of accomplishment that oh I, I've done this and I got it. <laughs> Some people might say, hey, you're 17, 18, you're already working at Microsoft as an intern. Uh, 
maybe I don't need to go to college. I'll just keep, I'll just get a job here. Do you think about that ever? Or do you think you have four, six, eight years of school ahead of you? Um, I did. Uh, well, that is one kind of one thought that I had as well. You know, maybe I could just not go to college and, uh, and, and just program. Uh, the only, the one little problem that's probably the biggest problem with that is that if you're trying to get hired at a company, the HR department will just mostly just write you off if you don't have a degree. And and but then it is, has been nice going to school um, at University of California, San Diego. We've um, like some of the things that I kind of know, but just fleshing them out a little bit more. It, it's 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 nice and it's it's interesting coming from a perspective of already programmed and. I, I kind of know many of the concepts that are already applied um, in school, and, and just cementing them more in my my mind. I, I would I would think I would say that um, education is more um, is what you make it. You can have people who haven't gone to high school; they've had a successful career because they're able to learn, and they didn't necessarily go to that environment where it was structured learning, but they learned all along. And you can have people who take advantage of learning in, a, in an, a, an educational environment where it's structured and they have to go to all these classes and and then but then you can also have the flip side of the coin where you have people on both sides who didn't take advantage of the opportunities they had and i don't think structured learning is necessary is necessary but it, it can be helpful i was trying to explain that to my niece who just got a job at dairy queen and uh I, she almost felt she almost didn't make it to work one day because she'd slept in and you know the boss was upset because she raced in at the last possible second, and that that quote came to my mind. It was like ninety percent of success is simply a you know show up, because once you show up, you're already ahead of this huge pile of people who never showed up at all. Yeah. And show up is a metaphor, of course. You know what I'm saying? I mean, right. arrive, be present, be here, and let's do some let's do some interesting work. It's cool that yeah. you've shown up. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been fun doing the work that I'm doing on the parallel computing platform and all these great people that like I've I've read their articles and stuff on you know MSDN and everything and I'm actually working with them now and it's it's cool. <laughs> Thanks to Zach Johnson for sharing his story today with us. You know, the amount of parents I see who stick an iPhone in front of their kids at the dinner table, let them play a game or watch a movie while the parents discuss things, it's kind of sad, especially when you listen to a kid like Zach, who's so intelligent, so capable of so many ideas and so much creativity. Involve your kids in the discussion, even if it's just telling stories at the dinner table. Yeah, my six-year-old, he just does not want to go to school right now. I mean, he's, <laughs> he says, school is the worst thing in the universe. It's the worst. But if I can watch Spider-Man this afternoon, then it will be okay. And uh, he does not want to go. And what do you tell a six-year-old who does not want to go to school? Uh, you know, there's going to be all these great things, and you're going to learn stuff, and your buddy's going to be there. And But ultimately, I'm not sure if it's when he's six or he's 16, but ultimately you got to just suck it up and do the work. <laughs> we actually came up with this character, which is like, uh, I don't know, I didn't go to school guy. So the little boys will ask me 
a question about the world. It'll be like the kind of questions that a little boy asks their dad. You know, like, why is the sky blue? And the voice is this kind of silly Adam Sandler kind of guy. Where it's like, I don't know. I did not go to school. You know, and <laughs> so like when he's really sad about school, he'll be just like, Dad, where does the tide come from? I do not know. I did not go to school. <laughs> and like, all right, suck it up. Go to work. Again, a big thank you to the folks at Code Rush for Visual Studio for helping support this developer's life. Code Rush has the fastest rename, the fastest find all references, fastest test runner. When it comes to creating, modifying, and refactoring code, nothing's faster than Code Rush. It's been on my ultimate power tools list since forever. Get Code Rush. You'll be glad you did. Check them out at devexpress.com slash Code Rush. We appreciate their support. I do not know. I did not go to school.